Amen. We are in a series right now called Good News, where we are talking all about the gospel, what the gospel is, what it means for us, what are some of the different facets of the gospel that we don't often think about. And we're using 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as our roadmap for this. So this morning, um, I want us to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through, um, I forgot the stopping place, 12 till it stops on the screen. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain. And your faith has been in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have also died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he stands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that this does not include the one who put all things in subjected under him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I find sometimes that the gospel is a little bit like sweet tea. See, not everybody has the good fortune to be from the South and to live in the South. And some of these poor, woe-begotten Northerners think they know what sweet tea is like but they're just wrong. They don't know what sweet tea's like. I remember when I was in seminary, we lived in Kentucky. Kentucky thinks that they're part of the South, but I know they're not part of the South because you can't get sweet tea everywhere when you go to Kentucky. You go to a restaurant and you order tea and it's a crapshoot. You might get sweet tea and you might not get sweet tea. Even if you say, I want sweet tea, you might come back with just the worst sweet tea you've ever had. Sarah Beth and I, in the time when we were in, in seminary, we both worked at this little restaurant. It was more of like a soda fountain shop that also served pizzas. It was very retro, very cool. And the folks who ran this little lunch counter were from Michigan. And they were pretty nice folks. Not always, but they were pretty nice folks. And, uh, but we just had the worst tea. And every, and every once in a while, I'd ask the, the owner, Beth, and say, Beth, can we please make sweet tea? 
we would make such good money because there's people at the seminary from the south and they want sweet tea. We would make a killing if we put this on our menu. And she said, why should we do that? We have sugar packets at the table. If they want sweet tea, they can put sugar packets in their iced tea and they can have sweet tea. And I was like, Beth, you don't understand. That's not sweet tea. <laughs> that's, that's nothing. Because you and I know that iced tea with a packet of sugar on it is not real sweet tea. That, that sugar has to melt in the hot tea in order to really be good. And you've got to put a lot in there. If you have a packet of sugar and sweet tea, sure, the ingredients, or a packet of sugar and unsweet tea, the ingredients are there. But, but good sweet tea, real sweet tea, is more than the sum of its parts, isn't it? I think the gospel is like that sometimes. I think oftentimes what we think of as the gospel, if you say, if you said, you know, present the gospel to someone, a lot of times you end up with the Michigan sweet tea version of the gospel. Right? It's... We know what it is. Jesus died for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. And none of that is wrong. Those are all true statements. Jesus did die for our sins. And he did that. And we, if we believe and we accept it, we get to go to heaven when we die. All those things are true. But it's also not the full picture of what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. It's not the full picture of, of what his resurrection did for us. It's all that stuff is true, but, but the gospel is bigger than the sum of those statements, especially when it comes to the good news about what Christ's resurrection means for us when it comes to death. It can feel morbid to preach about death all the time. But the fact is, you cannot wait until you're in the middle of a funeral to start teaching right things about death. Right? It's just not the right time. When people are at a funeral, they want to get comfort. They don't want to know what the Bible says about correct theology about what happens when you die. They, they don't want a lesson. They want comfort. When you're preaching a funeral, you don't have time or, or you just can't correct misconceptions about death. So when you're, when you're at a funeral and you hear someone say, oh, heaven just needed another angel, that's not the time for you to go up and say, well, actually, you don't become an angel when you die. You still become a human. And the Bible says you just, that's not at the time. You don't want to do that. It's not a good look. But it's important to teach about these things. It's important to give people hope and to believe the right things about the gospel hope for what happens after we die. It's important so that when the time comes for mourning, we already know the right things to hope for. And then we can be reminded of those things instead of just learning them for the first time. Because Paul is absolutely right here. He's absolutely right when he says that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we don't have anything to hope for. 
we are the most to be pitied, he says, if, if the only hope we have in Christ is in this life. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it would mean that death is more powerful than God. That death has the ability to keep God down. And if God in the flesh can't save himself from death, then how's he going to do anything for you or me? And if we don't have a resurrection to look forward to, then why do we even bother with a faith at all? If, if, if I work hard here in this life to do what I know to be right, to live for other people, to spread God's news, to keep myself clean, and then I die and nothing happens, well, I might as well have just partied it up. <laughs> I might as well have just gotten as much pleasure I, as I can out of this life because I don't have anything to look forward to. The, the, our Christian hope is, is dependent on some kind of payoff for us, right? If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we of all people, if there's no such thing as a resurrection, then we of all people are the most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. But if he did rise from the dead, then we have a lot to hope for. We have a lot to expect, and we have a lot of gospel news, good news to proclaim. And this is why I think the the Michigan sweet tea version of the gospel isn't quite good enough for you and me. Because going to heaven when we die isn't actually what Paul describes in this passage. Think about it. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Right? The wages of sin is death. It, sin brought about death. And if the only hope that we have is that after we die, we go to heaven, that means that we, we stay dead. It means we're still living in the consequences that sin brought. And yeah, we have this like silver medal of being in heaven when we die, but, but it just isn't, you're still dead. Oh, sure, we have to die and we can't continue to live, but at least we get to go to heaven and float around in the clouds forever. That seems pretty good, right? Sure as heck beats the alternative. And God's there, so it can't be all that bad, but, but it just doesn't feel like life. Plus, I've always felt, if I'm honest about it, that when I think about going to heaven and floating around in the clouds forever... It just seems boring. I don't want to play the harp. I want to play the banjo. God created us. God created this earth for us to live in it. This is what we're, where we're supposed to be. I don't like harp music enough to want to hear it for eternity. I like the feeling of grass under my toes. I like the feeling of sun on my face. I don't want to sing in a heavenly choir forever. I want to do stuff. Which is why I believe that Scripture doesn't teach 
about our eternal destiny as an afterlife. It teaches about our eternal destiny as a resurrection. That's what he's saying here in, in chapter 15. Paul's not talking about this wispy float in the clouds afterlife. He's talking about Jesus' physical body resurrecting from the grave. And then he's saying that that's what we can expect too. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. As death came through Adam, so all will be alive in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first fruit from among the dead, which means that the second fruit is you and me. It means that our eternal destiny is not to float around in the clouds. It's to be resurrected from the dead in a new heaven, in a new earth, and have a real life together. This is the good news of the gospel, is that death does not have the final word. Life has the final word because Jesus loves life. Death is the real enemy. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus is going to reverse that. The wages of sin are going to go away because sin is going to go away and will be no more. God didn't create us to die. He created us to live. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus will defeat death altogether. Jesus will win. Every enemy will be destroyed and put under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. He was resurrected, resurrected from the dead, and he's going to resurrect you and me too if we believe in him. He's going to give us a life, a life where we can do stuff, stuff we like without fear of death or sin. Jesus will bring us a future where death is gone, reversed, done with, and sin is no more, and abundant life is the only thing that's left in God's presence forever. Doesn't that sound a lot better than floating in the sky with a harp? Death is inevitable for now. But Jesus has the last word. And Jesus is all about life. He won the victory over death. He will defeat death altogether and do away with it. The good news is not that we're going to escape this old world someday. It's that this old world will be transformed into a new world. Death will be defeated. And all of creation will be redeemed. Jesus wins. Don't you want to be a part of that future? The other good news of the gospel is that we don't have to wait until we die and be resurrected to take a part of it. Jesus says that he offers us abundant life here and now. He gives us a foretaste of that resurrection life here through the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds into new creatures here and now. 
And, and while it's seeing through a mirror dimly of what we will be one day, we can live a part of that life here and now through the empowerment and the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives us. The good news of the gospel is not that you get to go to heaven when you die. Although you do. Heaven's like a waiting room for the resurrection. The good news of the gospel is that the resurrection is coming. All of creation will be restored. And God invites you and he invites me to be a part of that. So I want to leave you with this hope. Jesus wins. I want to ask you, have you accepted him? Are you going to participate in that victory? Are you going to receive that abundant life and live it out? Or are you going to be on the left, left on the outside looking in? I know what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of that eternal, abundant life. Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, so often we've watered down the gospel. We've watered down the good news. We've made it about escapism. But Jesus, your good news is about triumph. It's about victory. So God, I pray that you will help us to live a life such that we can participate in that victory. We can participate in that resurrection when it comes one day. God, help us to look forward to that. Help us to look so forward to that that we, we organize our lives around that hope. So that when we're faced with hardship, when we're faced with trials, when death confronts us, as it always will, we can look back and say, this is hard, but we have hope that Jesus wins. And he's invited us into that victory, too. God, help us to take part in this resurrection together. And give us grace as we go through our lives here and now, as we look forward to that wonderful day. In your name I pray. Amen. So go now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, living out this resurrection hope, having a wonderful mother.